Today, a simple question, ha, or so you would think. What is a Christian? If you got to answer that question, how would you define it? Is there anything you'd leave out and say, that, that's not what it is to be a Christian? Or would you say, we better have this in the answer? And as you think about it, know that we're all probably coming up with relatively different answers and probably relating to what it is and what it means to us, what we've grown up hearing. That's sensible, right? That's, that's what we do. We operate by what we know. So do you know what the term Christian what it means, where it came from, what it's a shorthand way of saying. It was, a, it was a slander at one point, but like the church does, it usually takes slanders and then makes it something good, like Methodists used to be derogatory, and we claimed it, right? Christian was little Christs, little Christs. It was said as a slander to kind of poke fun, and we said, we'll claim it will be little Christs, a person uh, that, this is one, uh, this was Google's definition, right? Google gives me my answers, not really, but in this case it says, a Christian, a person who has received baptism as a public sign of a rebirth and commitment to the church. I thought, well, that's a pretty good answer, what it takes to be a Christian or what a Christian is. Now, we all have our reasons and explanations and definitions And we might ask things like this, does a Christian have to participate with the body of Christ to be a part of the body of Christ? Does the manner of baptism matter? Does your denomination determine if you are truly a little Christ? Does how you pray, how you eat, who you spend time with, the college team you root for, Does the music you listen to, who you voted for, how much money you give, does that determine if you are a Christian? And as you say, no, have you ever treated someone like that, maybe? Well, if you voted for this person, you must not really be a Christian, right? We we do those kinds of things to each other, don't we? Paul wrote to the church in Rome in the first century, a long time ago, before any of our gospels were written down, Paul is writing a letter. And he wrote to a church that had Jews and Gentiles. Okay, and if you don't know those terms, a Gentile is anyone that's not a Jew. So everybody. Paul was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. The disciples were Jews. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, and as they spread his message, people that weren't Jewish started responding. And so now the church is full of people that are in the faith of Israel and outside of the faith of Israel. So What you eat and what you say, what you think, where you buy your meat, it matters to them. So Paul writes. Now, he's trying to get them to learn to live together under a new title. Be a little Christ, a Christian. Maybe he didn't use that word, but it's the same idea. How do people so different live together? In the Jewish culture, circumcision was a big deal, if you don't know. All Jews were circumcised because Abraham, the first Jew, was circumcised because God instructed him to be, and he instructed all of Israel to be circumcised. So Paul writes to the Jews and Gentiles on how circumcision fits into the plan of the church because Jews were and Gentiles weren't. Should a Christian be circumcised is essentially the question. Now, kids, 
Circumcision, it's like a symbol of the body, like a wedding ring, all right? I have a ring, right? And it tells you something about me. It's an outward sign, right? In the Jewish culture, it said, I'm a Jew, just as this ring says I'm married, just to give you, if you don't know what the word means. Paul spent time earlier in his letter, or what we call chapter 2, explaining that circumcision is no longer an outward physical marker, but an inward one, which makes sense with the ring, right? If I just act any way I want and say, well, I have a ring on, so I'm married and I'm, I'm honoring that, we say, no, that's not how it works, right? It's got to be an inward. Everything that I do, how I do it, what I think, what I feel should reflect what I say. Or as Paul describes it, the circumcision is not of the outward, it's of the spirit. To be different. An outward sign will receive praise from people. An inward sign will receive praise from God, Paul says. So in our reading today, Paul revisits this thought. Uh, he's, in, he's in a later chapter, but he's, but he's revisiting a thought about how two cultures come together. Now, we have the Ten Commandments. You know what the Ten Commandments are? I know our youth do because they spent some time this morning right outside in our prayer area going over the Ten Commandments. Uh, does your ability to follow the Ten Commandments determine if you are a little Christ? The desire to, right? That's different. The inward desire doesn't mean we're perfect at it. Paul says, no, that's, I mean, no, following the commandments is not what makes you a little Christ. Now, understand, this is a big deal that Paul says this. Do you know who Paul is? Paul is one of the most well-respected Pharisaic Jews of his day. His entire life has been about learning the law, adhering to the law, learning the the purity code, the Big Ten, and all, all the talk around it. Paul made his career on rounding up little Christs and taking them back to the Jewish council because they were breaking the commandments. That's what Paul was doing when he encountered Jesus. So now he says, no, it's not the law. Paul says this. In our reading today, he doesn't even give us the entire list, all right, which might seem strange, but think about this. If you were to say the Ten Commandments and that was the centerpiece of your faith, you would name them all if you were going to name any of them, right? Paul essentially says, gives an, an etc. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't desire what others have, and any other commandments. He just throws it out there. You can see how his, the importance of them have changed and what he doesn't say. He says they're summed up in one word. What's that word? Love. Love your neighbor, right? Agape. It's not just, it's not just love, like, oh, well, I love... I love them right now because they're, they're great and they do things for me. That's not, that's not agape, right? Uh, agape is not the love that's between friends. It's not the love between uh, a married couple. It's not the love that you have for tacos. Agape is a sacrificial, self-giving love. It's that love that you have to dig deep and give. Paul writes to the church in Rome, and we, the church in America, should listen. People all around us are searching for life. It's the word we use. We call it eternal life, life to the fullest, fullness of life, life with God. It's life. It's about joy, peace, patience, right? It's all these things. We know those words. Everyone wants these. Everyone that's alive wants life. Some struggle to find it. 
Some struggle with poverty and desperation, and so survival outweighs life. Some struggle with addiction, and disease has crippled their mind. It is a disease. Some struggle with the lie that money will bring them joy, and they continually find themselves one purchase short of life. Some struggle with pain from their past. They can't forgive themselves. They can't forgive others. And we've all faced that struggle, yes? We've all been there. If you want to find life, Jesus says, to find joy, we must deny ourselves, give up the notion that we have any clue how to find it. I talked about that last week. And instead, we know as Christians, as little Christs, that we turn to Jesus and we proclaim ourselves as little Christs, as Christ followers who seek to live in the way that Jesus calls us to live. Yes? We receive baptism of the Holy Spirit who enters into our lives, into the inward part, in our beings, our souls, our hearts, and works to circumcise our spirit, to mark us as changed, to generate joy and life within us through the lifelong process of perfecting and, and the process of making us holy. It's a lifelong process. Amen? I'm not there. Are you? Nope. That's why we're here. We need help. And for those who haven't turned to Jesus... Know that we, like the church in Rome, we are billboards to the rest of the world about the validity of our faith. The people that don't know what we've come to know are looking to us to validate what it is we claim we know. We are billboards. You ever think about that? You ever see those spaces that says this space for rent on your shirt, right? It's, just imagine that hanging over your head. Everywhere you go, everyone you talk to, little Christ. Or as we say in our mission statement at the bottom of our, of our bulletin, we are a visible sign of restoration and hope for our community. We are. Or at least we want to live that way, yes? So do your actions advertise what your message says? Or when political discussions do come about, what do your actions reveal about your life? Do you get emotional? Anybody with me? Have you ever asked yourself, why do politics have so much power over me? Why do they have so much power? They can dictate my emotions. Think about that. You think you're not enslaved to something? Pay attention to how you react when someone says something you don't agree with. And it doesn't have to be about politics. If you get all worked up, just stop and say, man, something's really got a hold of me. Is it reflect my sign? I mean, do you look to the government or other things for joy in life? And when someone cuts you off in traffic, do you get emotional? When someone cuts you off in line at the grocery store? When someone treats you rudely? When your friends mess up? When your family are lost in their own mess and you suffer because of it. When your fellow Christian disagrees with you. Does the need to be right control you? How do you advertise the way of Christ in your response? Do you live every moment as a little Christ? 
If you struggle to love your neighbor as yourself, to live like Christ did, maybe we've forgotten the truth, the good news, as we call it. You are loved by God, sacrificially. You are loved. Each and every one of you are loved by God, and Jesus loved you sacrificially and gave of himself completely. You are loved, and you are enough. You are enough. Not not the you that you're supposed to be or could be. You are enough. You are a beautiful child of God, as it was so eloquently put last week. Do you believe it? God has given you everything out of pure love and grace. The next time your neighbor stirs up your emotions, gets you angry or upset, say to yourself, just time out myself, I'm loved, I'm enough, I'm a beautiful child of God. And then open your eyes and you look at that person and say, they are loved, they are enough, they are a beautiful child of God. If you can do that, it might help you respond in a way that later you'll say, I'm, I'm proud of the way I responded. I responded how I want to respond, how I'm glad. Perhaps simply reminding yourself of the bigger reality will help you respond as Jesus would, which is what Paul did. He says the day is dawning. It's a, it's, we're not in the night anymore. It's time now. And if you need further help, be creative. Here's my creative way. If it's a child or a teenager that's, that's pushing my buttons, I think... What if they were my child? How would I want someone to respond to them? Or if it's a, an, an older person, not old, okay? An older person, I'll say, what if that were my parents? What if that were my grandparents? How would I want someone to respond? Because, you know, that child is someone's child, and that older person is someone's parent, probably, loved by somebody. How would I hope someone would treat my loved ones? And if you need more creative ways, be creative. God made us to be creative. Find the way that works for you to help you grow and live into this little Christ life. Friends, you are enough. You owe a debt to no one except the obligation to love each other, to love your neighbor as yourself. So I invite you to pour yourself into the work of Jesus that you might be a little Christ who reveals to the world the way to finding life and joy in the eternal life of God. Love your neighbor, every neighbor, as if they were every bit as deserving as you. Can we do this? Are we going to need help? Are we going to help each other? Please, we need each other. Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, you... You give us a message again and again in your word because we need to hear it again and again. And I thank you that you are ever patient, that you are ever loving, always inviting, always forgiving. You just want the best for us and help us to take that kind of love and carry it out into the world where people are looking for life. I thank you that you've helped us find it. And if we haven't found it yet, God, I ask that you just give us the courage to claim it now. And then everything that's in this world will work for our good, even, even when we deal with pain and the darkness and the evil and the chaos, you're going to be with us through the body of Christ. I, I, I just give you thanks 
and I give you praise. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.